I don't know about y'all, but I love to be led in worship by students who love Jesus. Will you praise the Lord for these students? Last Sunday night, I introduced you to some things God is doing in my heart, and God does weird things in my heart, and the title of the series that I introduced you to was Embracing the Absurd, Living Life in the Upside Up Kingdom, and we talked about how God can call us to do some things that appear absurd to the outside world and feel absurd to us, but when God says something, when God commands me to do something, what he says is right, and the only way I can be right is if I agree with him. Um, even though it, uh, it feels and seems absurd, if God says it, it's always right. He is upside up. The people of God have got to start calling the things that God does upside up. And we looked at Matthew 13, verse 44, about the guy that found the treasure in the field and hid it. And we talked about how he might have felt and how people might have responded to him when he sold everything he had to go buy that field. But he had encountered a treasure that surpassed all value. And, and people may have talked about him, but he knew it was just a little while, and he would embrace that treasure. He would lay hold of that treasure, and he'd do anything to get that treasure. And then we talked about a lady that said she knew Jesus, but when she heard his name, it, it didn't do anything for her. She thought he, he lived down the street or something when she heard the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The man that found the, the, the treasure only acted appropriately. He didn't do anything radical. He didn't do anything absurd. He did what a normal person would do when they understand the value of that kind of treasure. The absurd thing is to encounter that kind of treasure and not let it change you at all. Then we went to John 4, and the title of last week's sermon was the nature of living water and we talked about the things that living water always does it always goes to the low spot it's often misunderstood but always courageous it understands that Jesus owns the harvest and the church it's not staking claim in that we go get who he tells us to go get whoever he wants us to go get and this church is his we also understand or, or living water always understands that the harvest is more important than the details and tonight is going to be a continuation of that. Tonight's sermon is titled, The Sprinting Shepherd and the Chiming Chains. Friday night, I was talking to one of my friends, and, and uh, he was asking me about you know, what I was preaching on. And I said, well, it's a series, Embracing the Absurd, Living Life in the Upside Up Kingdom. And the first sermon was titled, the nature of living water and the second sermon was is titled the sprinting shepherd and the chiming chains and he looked at me with the craziest look on, look on his face and he sat there for like five seconds and he said so what you're saying is you name them so nobody can figure out what in the world you're talking about until they get there and I was like well I hadn't thought about that but yeah that's what I do um, so tonight's message is titled the sprinting shepherd and the chiming chains if you will turn with me to first Samuel Chapter 17. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48. We're going to be here for just a second, and then we're going to the New Testament.
This is the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was the giant of the Philistines, and he was taunting God's people, and David took offense to that. And he took offense in a way that caused him to action. And his action is in verse 48 and 49. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight and God, I need you. I need you to speak. Father, I pray that my mouth would say all your words but only your words. Father, I pray that your people would hear all your words and only your words. May we respond appropriately. May we hear your voice. May we meet with you. And God, we ask you to transform us from the inside out. Change our heart and then change our actions. May we glorify you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm getting to where every time I preach, I have this, this Bible that defines all the words in Hebrew and Greek for me. And I use it all the time. It, it can shed some floodlights on a passage of Scripture if you don't really understand what's going on. I, I, every time I speak, I've picked up that, that book. And I've, I've studied what words mean. And I ran across my favorite word ever in these two verses. It's where David runs quickly toward Goliath. The story of David and Goliath is a foreshadowing of Jesus, and we need to remember that when we hear it taught. We first need to glory in that, but since it foreshadows Jesus and since we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, there are some things that we can learn from this too. The people of God are supposed to imitate Jesus. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So when we hear a foreshadowing of Jesus, it's also okay for us to apply it. But the word here for run quickly is mahar in Hebrew. I want you to say that with me. Mahar. Nobody said it. Mahar. If you didn't spit on somebody, you didn't say it right. Mahar. I'm kidding, I have no idea how you say it, but I just thought it'd be funny to hear you. Um, I, I had never taken a Hebrew class, but uh, it's, it is mahar, if that's how you say it. The word means to sprint quickly, to run quickly with liquid veracity as a lion chases his prey. David didn't sneak up on Goliath. Just like Jesus didn't sneak up on the enemy. David picked up his stones. And when, the, when Goliath started chanting at the people again. And when, when Goliath started toward the people of God. David picked up his satchel and met him. Sprinted toward him saying, come on buddy. Let's go to the house. That little old David and big old Goliath. He bowed up. And he went and met him. 
My first point is the man of Christ does not surrender to the enemy. When the enemy looks too big and we look too small, the man of Christ don't back down. He runs ferociously like he's fixing to win, and he goes and smokes him on the head. He doesn't back down. When I say the word spiritual warfare to you, what do you think about? The first thing that pops in my mind is the enemy's attack on me. When I think of spiritual warfare, I think of, oh, Satan's coming after me, Satan's coming after me, Satan's coming after me. Mm -mm. That's not the way the people of God are supposed to think. When we think of spiritual warfare, we're, we're supposed to think of Mahar, think, taking the fight to the enemy. Bow up against God's people and let me come get you. Paul says it like this to Timothy in 1 Timothy. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you these, this instruction, keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by them you may strongly engage in battle. Strongly engage in battle. You go pick a fight with the enemy. Strongly engage in battle, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these things and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. When we let the enemy come to us constantly, it shipwrecks our faith. Paul was encouraging Timothy, go pick a fight with him. Go engage him. You start the fight with the enemy. You take the fight to him. Now we know our fight's not with people. We know who our enemy is. The Bible tells us plainly it's not people. It's not flesh and blood. And we don't go pick fights with people. But the enemy has some serious strongholds that we need to take the fight to him in our community. In our families. In our church. We need to go pick some fights. It's not what most people do. It's absurd to most people. But it's right side up. The man of Christ don't back down. He don't surrender. He engages the enemy. He mahars. There's some fights we need to pick. First on our knees, and then with our lives, taking the fight to the enemy. The thing that concerns me, though, is that I don't think that we're surrendering to this big fight with the enemy like David had I think the people of God have surrendered to convenience do you know what David was doing here he was keeping his sheep and his dad said son take some bread and cheese to the people that are fighting to your brothers that are fighting David wasn't going to find Goliath. He wasn't going to, to the battle. He was taking cheese and bread to his brothers. He could have said, you know, this is not my purpose in coming here when Goliath was chanting at the people of God. This, is, this isn't my fight. He could have said that. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm delivering bread and cheese. That's my purpose here. That's not what he did. Guys, our God does not care about our convenience. He really doesn't. 
I did a word search in the whole Bible for the words inconvenience, inconvenience. It never popped up one time. God is totally unconcerned with our convenience. He only gives us commands for us to obey. And we don't have the right to say, I'll do that, but I'm doing this right now. We've surrendered to convenience. We have not even surrendered to the enemy. This enemy that we fight is extremely, extremely wise. He's got thousands and thousands of years of wrecking people's lives under his belt. He's got thousands and thousands of years of strongholds that he's kept on people. He's wise. And if he can get you to surrender to convenience, he'll take that. He'll take that. Tonight I want to ask you, when you think about your spiritual life, or when you think about this church, or when you think about what God is doing um, around you, what makes you most angry? When you think about your spiritual life, when we're, when we're thinking about spiritual things, what makes you most angry? What makes you most angry? Is it the strongholds that the enemy has in our community? Is it the enemy? Is it what he's doing to people? Is it how he's wrecking families and destroying marriages? Is it how he's taking our children um, in, into pornography and, and all kinds? Is it how he's destroying our children? Or is it what time we show up at church on Sunday mornings? Just like last week when he got the, the people of God, the disciples of Christ, arguing over who brought Jesus a biscuit when the harvest is out there and the harvest is plentiful, if he can get us to surrender to convenience, he is totally good with that. God is not concerned with our convenience and the only way that we can be right is if we're not. That's the only way we can agree with him. He doesn't take our, our, our convenience into account. He's not worried about it. Convenience can be an enemy. What happens when we mahar? What happens when we, when we don't worry about convenience, when we kill convenience in our life? What happens when we run toward the enemy and we embrace a fight with the enemy and we take the fight to the enemy and it doesn't turn out so good. The story of David and Goliath ended good for David. Everybody celebrated. He had the enemy's head in the, in, in, by, by the hair of his head in his hand showing the people of Israel we won. But we, God can call us to do some things and it can, it can be a hard road for us. God can call us to do some things that actually get us into trouble. That actually hurt, hurt our families. It can happen. The man of Christ, this is my final point, 
but it's a long one. The man of Christ does not surrender to suffering. The man of God is not scared of suffering. Not only have we not surrendered to the enemy or we have not surrendered to convenience, but sometimes we surrender to the risk of suffering. We hadn't even suffered yet. We hadn't gotten to where we're suffering. We're scared that we might. So we don't do some things for God. And the truth of the matter is God can call us to do some things that, that don't end pretty until the end. It's happened before. And I want to talk to you about some things that have happened to me um, that I, I feel like I can speak to this a little bit. 2015, for me, has been the roughest year I've ever had emotionally. It's been rough. Um, January 26th, we're getting the satellite dish. I really suffered, y'all. We're getting the satellite dish moved. Uh, actually, we're getting some equipment swapped for our satellite dish. And the guy's there installing it. And um, He's been there about 10 minutes, and Beth calls me. And I'm here at the office working, and she says, um, I'm going to need you to come home. This guy's a little different. Um, I hope he's not here tonight. But uh, she said, this, this, this guy's a little different. He's kind of got me shook up a little bit. I need you to come home right now. So I come home, you know, and, and she's right. He's a little different. And he's putting our satellite stuff in. And not five minutes after I walk in the door, Beth gets a phone call. And she said, we need you to call Dustin and tell him to, to come here, or tell him to be around you. We got some news. It was our adoption agency. And uh, she said, well, he's here. And she put it on speakerphone, and they told us that after five years of trying to adopt a child from Ethiopia, that door has shut, and you won't get to adopt a child from Ethiopia. It's over. And we were crushed. We had spent five years in this process, we knew we had a baby in Ethiopia. And our dreams of that in, in one phone call was crushed. A few days, and, and that night, to be honest with you, I, I, my prayer was, God, did I, did, I, did I miss your calling? I mean, I thought you called us to adopt from Ethiopia. What's, what's the problem? What's the holdup? Why, why would this happen if you called us to adopt from Ethiopia? A couple days later, we were headed to uh, Little Rock to a urology appointment. Nothing can get your mind off things like a urology appointment. And uh, so we're on our way, scared to death in that, and uh, we're talking, and, and we kinda, I, I kind of start laughing, and Beth was like, what, what are you laughing about? And uh, I said, well, it's kind of ironic that you would call me and say, this guy's weird, I need you to come home. And when he left, we were in the floor embracing each other, crying. You know, you know he called his wife and was like, these guys were, they were tore up over this dish. I mean, <laughs> goodness gracious. Holy cow, I've never seen, they are weird, you know. So, so I was kind of laughing about that, and, and uh, God gave us a peace. And, and we thought about the grace of God having me there when Beth got that phone call. You know, you can talk about 
whatever you want to talk about, but man, God takes care of us. He, he, he does things. He, he, he has us in the, in the right place, you know, and so we got, we were talking about it and, and God gave us peace. And so we called the adoption agency and we said, look, we want to move forward. Uh, we still feel called to adopt and we changed to the China program and we're filling out paperwork and it stinks and it's hard, but we're going to have a baby in just a little while. It didn't end there. This summer, uh, I took the students. There were 70 of us that went to camp. And at camp, we got a phone call that the students had lost a close friend. And, um, man, there were 60-something students there that were broken. And I didn't have any words for them. All I know to do is cry with them. And, and that time I was wondering, God, do you, do you really have me in youth ministry? Because I don't know about this. I don't have any answers. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I still don't. Um, but God blessed us then, too. Uh, he gave us Luke and Kendall, who were some crazy good interns Luke had actually walked through something like this himself once again you can think what you want but God God works stuff out for us and Kendall was compassionately loving on kids and and she was right in there hurting with them and it was tough and I and I was doubting God do you have me in youth ministry this has kind of got me freaked out a little bit and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and, and he still said yes. And I asked him about 17 times, you know, again, are you sure? Yes. And our student ministry team, our adults and I are going to keep on bringing the gospel to our kids. Because all we have is a little while. I led a team of students to Zambia. It didn't stop there. I led a team of students to Zambia. We get to Chicago. And y'all, I don't care if Chicago falls off the face of the earth, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it was me and Doug and Kendall and Beth and Miss Heather uh, leading seven or eight students to Zambia and we get to Chicago and we knew there was some paperwork we had to give to the people in Johannesburg they're they're cracking down on child trafficking and and we had some paperwork we had to give to those officials and we had all that put together I had it all paperclip Miss Cindy took care of me um, I don't know what I'd do without Miss Cindy and Miss Mindy and Miss Andrea and all of them but but Miss Cindy took care of me and had me ready to go and the lady called us up to the desk and my heart sank and I showed her everything and she said I gotta call my manager because you, you don't have your stuff notarized and I said nobody told me I had to have my stuff notarized and she said well I don't care you gotta have your stuff notarized so she calls her manager and her manager gets up there and she says no no you can't go can't go 
you got to have your stuff notarized. And I'm like, can I get my secretary? My secretary is a notary. Can I? And, and this made me sick, y'all, because for like three weeks I had my stuff together and I was working five steps from a notary. Oh. And, and she said, no, it's got to be original. It's got to be original copies. Can't do anything about it. And I, I told Beth, I said, well, you, all I know to do is to tell the team to pray. That's all we got. So we had the team praying. James and Marcy were praying for us. The staff and some other of y'all were praying for us. And, and I was pleading with the lady. I'm in tears by now saying, will you please help? What can I do? Nothing. She gets on her radio. She says, unload the luggage off the plane. And I'm crushed. These kids have put so much work into this trip. They've put money into this trip. They've gotten jobs to pay for this trip. And now we're not going to get to go. And y'all, it was down. We were not going. They were getting our stuff off the plane. And we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying. And I said, ma'am, we are not leaving the airport in Chicago, which I have said about 12 times by now. And she says, you're not leaving the airport in Chicago? Well, let me make a phone call. She makes a phone call and she says, you can go and hangs up the phone. Once again, you can think what you want, but I know my God takes care of us. And in just a little while, our kids taught other Zambian kids how to do the Redeemer skit. And, and we went out door to door one day, and I was talking to one of the uh, interpreters, and I was telling him our story in Chicago, and, and he said, you had to come. God knew you had to come because somebody trusted the Lord this morning. Um, it didn't end there. On August 18th, I lost one of my best childhood friends in a crop duster accident. And to be honest with you, I'm still working through that one. But God granted me grace in it. And y'all, let me tell you this story. When we were 16 years old, me and this guy, we trusted Christ in the same church on the same night. And, and every day, some, or, or most every day, I have to go back and I have to think about that day. That was a grace of God, too. And I know I'm going to see him in just a little while. Paul knew of suffering. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Did you hear that? 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that, will, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and, and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ, but because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. If we're following Jesus Christ, if we're doing his thing, we absolutely cannot lose. Did you hear what I just said? If you go after the enemy, if you're following Jesus Christ, and you go after the enemy, and it winds up with you being in prison, God's going to use that. If it winds up with you suffering, God's going to use that. There is absolutely no way for the man of Christ to lose. It cannot happen. He does not lose. Have any of you heard of the man Richard Wormbrand? You may have heard of the company he started, The Voice of the Martyrs. He was in prison and he had a heart for those who were suffering for the cause of Christ. And he started that company. I want to read to you something that he wrote. Dearly beloved... In communist China and other countries where believers are persecuted, there are now millions and millions of Christians despite the persecution that is exercised. They meet in secret places with joyful hearts because they believe with the apostle that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39. You should see how the persecuted Christians recite the apostles' creed. They state the same affirmation of faith that we recite in the West. But where there is persecution, the creed is said somehow in a different manner. You should see how they say it. 
As they begin, their faces shine and their eyes are full of joy. They say, I believe you. The persecutors may not believe you, but I'm, I'm me. I'm not you. And if the whole world would not believe, I believe. I believe in the one God, the Father Almighty. He has made, only, he has made not only the visible things, that, but many invisible things. He has made not only the earth, but a beautiful heaven. And if you put me in jail, if you take away my life on this earth, I would have a heaven. They say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they finish the creed as we finish it. I believe in the resurrection of the body and in life everlasting. I give you the good news that persecution and torture did not break their faith, but made it stronger. We have unknown numbers of brothers and sisters in jail, but they have kept the same faith that you have. I do not know how often you sing of the glory of God. Some Christians sing only once a week on Sunday. Others sing throughout the week. Listen to this, y'all. This is the chiming chains part. We in prison sang every day. And every Christian in jail had a musical instrument. The communists were nice. Every Christian, when he entered jail, received a musical instrument. Not a guitar, but chains on his hands and feet. Chains are splendid musical instruments. We could sing, Onward Christian Soldier, clink, clank. Marching as to war, clink, clank, clink, clank. Kind of messes you up if you have a worship style preference. To know our brothers are singing, making melody with their chains. The words of praise and glorification of God never cease. The brethren in communist and Muslim prisons pray for you. You should also pray for them and think about them with love. Do not think that they sit there in their prison cells very sad and brooding. There is a joy in their hearts because Christ is with them. One of our brethren was arrested. They beat and tortured him, tortured him because he, he would not denounce his faith. The communist officer who led the interrogation said, I'm tired. We will not beat you anymore. They beat him till, he was, till the guy was worn out. We will deport you to Siberia where the snow never melts. It's a place of great suffering. We will deport you and your whole family to Siberia. The brother smiled. Lips are for smiling. A Christian can smile even in moments of great sorrow. The Christian replied with a smile, Captain, where can you deport me? The whole earth belongs to my father. Wherever you send me, I will be on my father's earth. The communist got angry. He said, we will confiscate all your property. The Christian continued to smile and said, you're free to take all my property, but I pity you. I've gathered my treasures in heaven, and you'll need a very high ladder. If you find such a ladder, you'll have to climb and climb and climb. If you arrive there, you can take everything I have. On, on earth, I have nothing. The officer thought he was being mocked. He shouted, we'll shoot you. The Christian still replied with a smile, if you take away my life in this earth, my real life of bliss and beauty will begin. I'm not afraid of being killed. The communist yelled at him, we will not kill you. We will keep you alone in a cell behind locked doors and iron bars. We will not allow anyone to come see you. The Christian, still smiling, replied, you cannot make me sit alone in a cell. I have a friend who can pass through locked doors and iron bars. No one can separate me from the love of the Messiah. This is the experience we had in jail. Other Christians and I experienced it in our jail. My wife and other Christians had it in their jail. Alexei Kortov, a pastor 
who was in jail in Russia for 45 years, had also the same hope and joy. Our brothers and sisters have learned what it means when they repeat the words found in the creed, I believe. You have all passed through different experiences. Every one of you, every day, have before you the different choices and decisions. Christ is purity. If you're impure, you deny Christ. Christ is truth. When you lie, you deny Christ. Christ is love and peace. When you quarrel and when you hate, you deny Christ. Do not be hypocrites. Let us be Christians who express joy to our Savior. Let us each love Him with all our heart. We are, we are not put to the same test as our brethren in communist and, and, and Islamic countries, but Messiah looks at our hearts. May we see women and men who love Him with all their hearts who will not be separated from the love of the Messiah. If you're following Christ, you can't lose. Jesus, this is not something I believe. This is something I know to be true. Jesus is calling our church to Mahar. He's calling us to unite, grab the hand of the person sitting next to you, and run headlong with liquid veracity as a lion chases his prey toward the enemy. Toward inconvenient opportunities that have been presented to us by the victor who has the enemy around the throat. And whether he grants us the grace to hold the enemy in our head, in our hand, or if we have to sing through, to him through cheers, or if, to, to, through tears, or if we have to chime our chains. May the name of Jesus be made famous in Wynn and around the world through the people of Wynn Baptist Church. We can't lose if we do that. Some of you here may be wearing chains that you're not, you're not meant to wear. The other week I told the students that when you read Jesus in the New Testament he was much different than us he saw the spiritual as much more real than the physical he said who are my mother and my brothers my mother and my brothers are those who who hear the will of God and do it he believed that the spiritual was more more real than the physical and guys, if you're wearing spiritual chains, those are more real than physical. The, the saved man can be free wearing chains, chains on his hands and feet where the lost man cannot be, cannot be free. John 3.18 says, if you do not know Jesus, you have already lost. You are condemned. Tonight, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come to him. We're going to have pastors down front. They'll help you, help you know him if you don't already. But church, I also want to charge you to do whatever you got to do to get to the point where we can move forward in Mahar. The enemy has strongholds that we need to take over. Our friends and our people are going to hell. We've got to Mahar. Let me pray for us.
Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight and we ask you to do what you want to do in our hearts. You are the Spirit of God who speaks to the inside of people. And God, I pray you would do that. Father, if there are things that we need to lay down, if there are chains that are bringing us down, I pray that, that we would lay those down by your grace and your strength. But God, if there are chains in our life that you have given to us, I pray we would chime them to your glory. God, we love you and we need you, and we pray that you would work in Jesus' name.